The world didn't need another hockey podcast. It needed a better one. Bear witness to the two-man forecheck. Good morning, Chris. Good morning, Mike. April showers have arrived. Uh, May flowers may soon be here. Uh, The NCAA championship is in the history books. The golden draft is dwindling. I have a really interesting question for you. We're going to talk a little bit about some prospects, a tidbit we picked up during a broadcast. Where do you want to start? Well, actually, I'm going to start very briefly by mentioning um, that the title title of Titletown, the the moniker of Titletown, still belongs to Boston, not because of the Bruins, not because of the Celtics or any other team here in New England, but we have a new dynasty in town, the Boston Pride. We, back did, we back. did not mention it, but back-to-back Isobel Cup champions, or Isabel Cup. I'm not sure how it's pronounced. I've heard it I've both heard ways. It both, and usually it's just shortened to the Izzy. <laughs> Which works for me. The, 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 the PHF version of the Stanley Cup two years in a row coming back to the pride. And this year, I think the game was a little bit uh, challenging, but they managed to pull it out. Congratulations to them. Beautiful thing to watch. I did watch some of it. I missed the title game. I actually saw the title game and it was three goal third period. I mean, it was very competitive. Um, the thing with the Pride, though, is they finished the regular season on a nasty slump. Um, and I remember that. Barely, up, made, barely got into, barely skated into the into the playoffs, if I'm not mistaken. It, it was close. But they, you know, the playoffs arrived and they, I hate to use the expression, flicked the switch. But <laughs> they just won every other game the rest of the season. So maybe maybe there is something to be said for that ability to turn it on as needed. Um, not that I think that they intentionally tanked uh, in the last couple of weeks, but man, you look at uh, just like you you don't see that in most sports. Most teams, if they hit that sort of a if they hit that sort of a rot in losing, they go out hard in the first round, like ugly rolled up embarrassment where people get fired and team and rosters get blown up. And there you go. The, the pride did had some showed some and then did it. Older, older school Bruin, older school Boston Bruins fans would be happy because the pride beat the Connecticut whale. A little bit of a play on, you know, Bruins versus whalers, you know, uh, and just a quick, yes, Just a quick shout out to Jillian Dempsey, just because she is now some she has something in common with Tom Brady. They both stand alone with the most rings of any player in the history of their respective leagues. This is Jillian Dempsey's third championship ring. She was here in 2016 and last year with the 2021 Cup winners. And this year makes three. So congratulations to Jillian on her third championship. Oh, and by the way, she's a fifth grade teacher in Winthrop. (laughs) 
let's see how many more of her fingers we can uh, fill up before she uh, calls it a career. Absolutely. Uh, hey, there are two-time back-to-back champions now. If you don't get tickets to the games as soon as they become available, they're going to be sold out. These That team is special, and it looks like a lot of them are going to be coming back uh, for next year. Uh, and that's... That's just fascinating. I mean, if they can get to, if they can pull off a three-peat, uh, really good for the team. Might even spur, I mean, and the league is growing, as we know. We've talked about it a couple of times this season. Yeah, uh, I'm sure we'll mention over the in, summer. Increase in salary. Uh, the New owners. New owners. Uh, they expanding again. they expanding again, or was that this year? I believe they're expanding. I don't know if it's next season or the season after, but I want to say I heard at this point, I don't remember and I'd rather not uh, give out misinformation. Um, So why don't we dive into the rest of the show? So congratulations, Boston pride two years in a row. And all right. And from there we go to uh, something that you mentioned briefly in the open there with, um, the 2003 golden draft dwindling a, li- dwindling a little bit. Ryan Getzlaf uh, announced his retirement a couple of days back, uh, effective the end of the season. And while I won't say this is the first draft NHL draft I ever watched, um, it's, it's the it's, NHL draft that has probably had the biggest impact on my hockey fandom um, because there's even almost 20 years later, there's still many players I deeply respect and who are still productive on the ice in this draft. Ryan Getzlaff remains among that number. Marc-Andre Fleury is among that number. Patrice Bergeron is on that is among that number. Uh, Joe Pavelski came out of this draft. Yeah. Um, I mean, there he didn't play this year, but Shea Weber is out of this draft. David Backus, Corey Crawford, Brent Seabrook, um, Zach Parisi, Dustin Brown, Jeff Carter, Ryan Suter, uh, Mark Stewart, who was one of my favorite players uh, for a number of years, Dustin Bufflin, Lee Stepniak, who was clearly one of Don Sweeney's favorite players. Um, <laughs> I forgot about him, actually. To, uh, Tobias Enstrom, Matt Molson, uh, Tanner Glass, Milan Mahalik. Mike Richards, um, David Jones, B.J. Crombeen, Maxime Lapierre. Um, oh, wow. There's oh Nathan Horton, who, of course, won the Cup with the Bruins a few years back. Mm-hmm. Um, Andre Kostitsin. Uh, the first see, of the Anthony Stewart. Anthony Stewart, who is now an owner of the a part owner of the Boston Pride. Um, is he really? I believe I knew, he was part of that. I'm almost I knew he certain he was, was involved in. I knew he was involved in ownership. I didn't realize it was with the Pride. That's cool. If it wasn't the Pride, it was the other team that recently changed ownership. Actually, it wasn't the Pride. It was the other team. It was Toronto, I think. Okay. I'd have to go look it up. My memory is terrible for that stuff. But even even the literal one-hit wonder Byron Bits, who played all of 97 games but got his name chanted loudly at the Boston Garden. Uh, 
in his during his brief NHL tenure, 2003 draft. Um, there's there may well be more than ten Hall of Famers in this in this one draft. Ten. Ten. Getzlaff and I think Getzlaff and um, Getzlaff, Bergeron, Flurry are locks. Okay. I'm not really listening to arguments otherwise. Corey Perry, <laughs> same thing. I think there's a lot of yeah. I don't I don't know. That there's a lot that I listen to arguments. Some of them would be difficult. Yeah. Um, people are going to make a push for Shea Weber and Corey Crawford and Ryan Suter, and I'm okay with that. Okay. I think that Dustin Bufflin is a guy who probably should have his jersey go up uh, in Winnipeg because he was a really, really big part of that franchise. Um, oh, someone uh, someone else uh, that I forgot. Yes. Jan Phaneuf was part of this class. Thomas Vanek was part of this class. Ryan Kessler was part of this class. Um, Mark Mathot was part of this class. Mm-hmm. I mean, these are as at one point you could have made a maybe six, seven years ago, you could have made a 2003 draft class versus the league all-star game and the 03 class would have smoked them. Most likely. <laughs> I, 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 I don't know. I don't know that I'd listen to arguments in, in, in that case, I mean, there's at least six Hall of Famers in this class. At least six. And that's ridiculous. And just to confirm, yes, it is retired players. Angela James and Anthony Stewart are part of the new Toronto six ownership group. Toronto six, not not Boston. But um, I, I knew he had a stake in the ownership but it, just looking, being able to look at him in this class and say that he stands so high in it is an automatic recommendation for uh, for the class, for the uh, Hall of Fame. I'm Hall of Fame. Yeah, I, I, I don't know how many accolades you can throw onto that 03 draft. I don't think – All of them? Yes, basically. If you look it up in the dictionary or a thesaurus and you come up with a, a, some sort of um, accolade or it's close rela- close relative, yes, just throw it on the 03 draft. There you go. I mean, they are, there's more than a dozen players in this draft who have played more than 1,000 games. There's – Two guys who mm-hmm. crossed a thousand points, Ryan Getzlaff and Eric Stahl. And production wise, Getzlaff has been better. 1,150 games, 1013 points to Stahl's 1293 and 1034 points. Um, Getzlaff also has, I think, one more ring. But um, just a phenomenal, phenomenal draft class. And I don't know that we've seen anything close since. 
and I really don't expect to see anything as deep. Well, we talked about it multiple times. We're looking at drafts like the 13 draft. I think the 13 draft was one of the ones that we thought, you know, it's not going to, nothing's going to be the L3 draft. I, I don't even know if I could, you know, listen to arguments about that. I don't think you're going to have another draft like this. If you do, it's going to be many, many years from now. I, I, I don't, I don't think we're going to have another one of these. It, it was just perfect storm. But I think we looked at like the the twelve or the thirteen. I want to say it was the thirteen draft. Was had a lot of uh, good talent. Not going to hit this one, but. Uh, there's a lot of uh, a lot to be expected from that one. It, yeah, this is just you look at these names and it's crazy. <laughs> I mean, just the just the number of games played by so many of them. I mean, an average career is right around 400 games. Uh, I would have to actually sit down and count, but to me, it looks like there's north of 30 players from this draft who played 400 or more. And then about the same many who played under 30 games. As you said, you got 16, you got 16 of them are over a thousand. 16. And there's, and there's guys (laughs) who are still playing who are under a thousand games who are probably going to play another season or two. Um, Oh, let's see. Uh, Brian Boyle actually played this season. I don't know if he's taking a year or two off. Yeah, Um, he may well be back. Nate Thompson is still playing. I don't Mm -hmm. know if he'll keep playing, but maybe he didn't look terrible the last two times I saw him. Um, And, you know, as much as I like Mark Stewart. I really, 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 really wish that Mike Richards had been able to keep himself clean uh, because he would have been another guy who hit a thousand games or more. Mm -hmm. Um, He was just a. People tried to compare him to Patrice Bergeron and he wasn't. I would say that he was the center version of Brad Marchand, (laughs) a little bit bigger. Certainly, certainly manage the aggression, um, but but a strong two-way player. Um, you know, he had those two thirty-goal seasons uh, for the Flyers. Uh, if he had managed to keep himself or at least recover uh, well enough to stay in the league, it would have been uh, he would have had a. He would be another one of those guys we're talking about for the Hall of Fame. Yeah, and he still, was in this draft. Yep. <laughs> and he still managed to make it 749 games. Oh, there you go. That, you know, that's and a, 136 playoff games. Yeah, that's a few. That's a few. Yeah. We have co- We have players who became coaches in this draft. Jeremy yes. Colleton was picked in this draft. <laughs> yep. Um, there's... It's it's really hard to look at this draft and not remember even the guys who had really short careers like Jeff Tambellini. I do remember watching him play a couple of games. Yeah. 
Um, Colin Frazier, I will remember watching him play a couple of games. Uh, wait a minute, is that? Yeah, that's yes, Jeff Pambolini also went on to be a coach. Uh, he was yeah, in the yeah. CHL and an assistant at Michigan. Bissonette was in this draft. <laughs> Why not? Um, that's what I'm saying. Everybody, you know, to look back and go, okay, this guy was here. Oh, yeah, yeah, this guy. Oh. Yeah, this is this is one of those drafts where you go back and go, yeah, I remember him. Yeah, I remember him. <laughs> he didn't play many games, but yeah, I remember him. <laughs> uh, oh, Kevin Regan. Oh, man, there was the that was one of never, the never first, played in the NHL, but he was one of the first of the Bruins like 10 year wave of next great goaltenders. Yes. Like he was supposed to be the sure thing. They were comparing him to Lundquist. They were comparing him to whoever else was great at the time. Mm-hmm. It, it was just, and then it never materialized. No. And the thing is, is the last year he played for Providence Bruins, he actually, he, he 21 games played and goals against 254, save percentage of 915, and yet never, never, never get a call up. And, and I understand. I mean, you know, it happens. And, and just, yeah, he was one of the many, he was one of the, the, handful of goaltenders that Bruins picked and didn't seem to do anything with. Oh, it was more than a handful. Uh, (laughs) They, and I mean, part of it, it, part of it in his case was just pure bad luck because by the nine, 10 season, the Bruins had Tim Thomas kind of quasi securely in that. They, I think that's the season they also brought in Manny Fernandez. Manny, Manny Fernandez. Um, Tuka Rask was pushing for time. And they had, I mean, there was a crowded crease scene that year. Uh, What was that? 9-10 was his last, was Regan's last season in Providence? Yeah, that was in 2009-2010. And you had, yes, you had... You had uh, Thomas and Rask in that. Um, Thomas had a 931 save percentage behind in 45 games. No, I'm sorry. <laughs> Thomas had a 915 save percentage in 45 games. Okay. Rask was actually somewhat better that year with a 931. Um, and then you go on to the next year and... Yeah, couldn't hold the crease again. Because that was the year that Rask started as the number one. Well, because of the numbers of 2009-10. Which was fair. But they took those numbers, took it and said, OK, he's going to be our number one, younger and 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 whatnot. And, and, and then nothing. maybe but came out of the gate stumbling and. And went, they had to go back to Thomas, and that was the end of that. <laughs> and I still remember the Bruins' first game against the Washington Capitals that season. 
the Washington Capitals had a murderer's row of goal scorers. Um, yeah, obviously you had uh, Alex Ovechkin. I was going to say they had some guy named Ovi something. You had you had uh, Alex Semen. Yes, Alexander Semen. You had um, Mike Green scoring from the back end. Mm-hmm. You had Brooks Like. You had Mark. Uh, you had Mike Knubel still. Um, and the Bruins fans started taunting them almost immediately with "You can't finish." A team that finished with a forty goal scorer, a fifty goal scorer. A 30 goal scorer, a 29 goal scorer, a 25 goal scorer, 23 goal scorer, um, and 19 on the back end from Mike Green. You can't finish. Not just a few fans, but ringing through the arena. And it was gorgeous. And you had to know that there was something special coming that season. Like, I. I spent the entire season in denial of it because I didn't want to think about the possibility of getting close and losing. Mm-hmm. But if you legitimately ask me that year, what was the first time that you thought the team might do it? Then, yeah. Right then. Right then and there. <laughs> Apparently, you could draft punching bags in this 03 draft as well. Um, one of Milan Lucic's favorite target, targets, Nick Tarnaski, was taken in this draft. <laughs> I, I mean, it, but to bring it back around and, and close out the, the whole Getzlaff, I mean, Ryan Getzlaff has been phenomenal. And to do it, like like Patrice, to do it with one organization – one organization for your, whole, for your whole career and to just I mean, even when they I was never fooled when they when they said at the deadline that Getzlaff was a there was no way he was going anywhere. I firmly believe that there was no way he was getting traded anywhere. This is a guy who has given his heart and soul to the Anaheim Ducks through all of their iterations from 03 till now. And that's the thing. The league has changed enormously, at least twice in the time that Bergeron and Getzlaff and the rest of the out class came in. Because you have to remember, these guys came in, clutch and grab was still a thing. The set, uh, there, there were still no two-line passes. They come in, they play a year. All of a sudden, there's a complete lost season. They come back, there's a salary cap. The rosters for at least a third of the teams are completely unrecognizable from before the uh, before the lockout, and they're playing in a completely different league. And then five six years later, the interfe- the definition of interference included everything north of eye contact, um, and now you know it's it really is at least two errors of hockey in the time that those guys have been in the league and to keep adapting, keep producing. It's just, it's nothing short of phenomenal. And to be, to, to be, and this is what, 
to be at one one thousand one hundred and fifty games, eleven hundred fifty games. He's got one thousand thirteen points, but he's got nine hundred and fifty four penalty minutes. That puts him sixth in this draft. In in a draft where you are still expected to to be assertive. He's got 950. You look at like Bergeron's played more games than him. Only has 470 penalty minutes. I realize it's not his style. He does get he, when he needs to get angry, he gets angry. I get it. But I mean, this is a guy Getzlaff who's producing at the top of his game points wise, but he's also physical. I mean, the guys ahead of him. Okay, Bacchus. Yeah, we know he's physical. Get uh, Bufflin. Uh, yeah, Daniel Carcillo, yeah. Dion Phaneuf, he was big physical defenseman. I mean, the surprising one is Corey Perry, his own team, Getzlaff's own teammate, has well, 1,276 penalty minutes. Those two were Batman and Superman on the ice for a solid 10 years. There was a time where they were the best duo in the league, and it wasn't close. Like, the first time they had true rivals was probably, you had the Sedins, but the Sedins were so one-dimensional, it wasn't funny. Um, And most of the other really good players, you know, you had uh, Joe Thornton and a couple of his wingers for a few years. Mm -hmm. I mean, the next, as far as longevity, the next two pairs uh, for playing together at a high level are probably Backstrom and Ovechkin who have been separated on a number of occasions and then Bergeron and Marchand because Kane and Taze don't play together all that often unless there's, unless it's crunch time. Um, and there's really not just not been a di- a super dynamic pair who owned the ice, owned the ice. Well, certainly not the way Those Harry two. and Getzlaff did. No. And you know, you can look at you look at Marner and Matthews, and they're closer to the successors to the Sedins, which isn't which isn't a slight to Marner or Matthews. It's just their style of play. They don't, uh, I mean, they, do they play on the same line though? I, I thought they played on separate lines as well. Um, they have and they haven't. I thought this year they were playing on the same lines. But I haven't really watched many Toronto games except for the Boston ones. Right. Uh, we're way far off again. Your fault. <laughs> Definitely. Oh, thank your you. Fault. Of course. Why? Um, Who else is would it be? And I can't think of any any possibilities. Of course. Where where are we heading? <laughs> um, uh, let's just throw a grenade out right now. Sure. Columbus. April 4th, Monday evening, pregame show, Nesson. Mike is quietly listening to the show, putting together uh, his own notes, and looking around the league to see what's, what else is happening. Yes. And he hears a very curious bit of uh, verbiage from Sofia Yurtskovich. Something he hadn't picked up any hints on. Something that might, might, might be justifiable, but maybe not 100%. She said, this is maybe 
Felino's last game in Columbus. The curious thing here is that Felino, who has no movement clause, which means that the team, I don't, even buying him out would be difficult, still has another year on his contract. I mean, he came to Boston because, well, his daughter was really sick a couple of years ago, and she got treatment here, and he fell in love with the city. Yeah. Um, now, his production has certainly taken a few steps back. He's crossed the 1,000-game mark. Yeah. Um, which he's done in, since the 06 draft. Been remarkably durable, given the physicality with which he plays. Um, no, uh, no Stanley Cups for him. He started off with the Senators uh, for his first uh, five seasons, and then Columbus, where we probably saw him uh, play his best hockey. He had a 31 goal season back in 1415. Uh, 26 game, a 26 goal season back in 1617. Um, not much in the way of playoff success, but that's not surprising given the rosters he was part of. Have you seen anything else about? I this? have been, I have been scouring uh, any news outlets I can think of that that might include. NHL information, and I have found nothing that even remotely indicates, hints at, um, points in the direction of, or in any other phrase you'd like to use indicating that Nick Foligno might be considering the R word. That's, I mean, that's a significant statement. Like, for Sophia to say that, she either means that either means she's heard something from him or is significant other. Because even if he wasn't playing here and was playing somewhere else, every team plays every other team. It's not like, yeah, in the old day, it's not like in the old days of like the NFL or whatever. I don't remember what sport it was where the East coast never played West coast teams until the play until the finals. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so that means one of two things. Either he's thinking of retiring, planning to retire. Have you seen anything to indicate that? No, because he's since he's since he's actually blown the rust off, having recovered from his injuries, he started to look better. I don't I mean, I don't think there's any danger of him having a 30 goal season next year uh, if he if he continues to play. Um, but he certainly looks like an NHL player. That said, when you look at where he's been put the last couple of weeks, he's playing on the fourth line. I mean, he he's planning on point eight million. He's playing on the fourth line. Yes. So if he's not retiring, if he's not being bought out. There is another possibility that is admittedly pure speculation, but something Sophia would have also possibly heard about before it became semi-public knowledge. Maybe the league is realigning the schedule. Uh, Sophia is realigning the schedule? 
maybe the league is realigning the schedule. I haven't heard. I haven't seen anything indicating that either. I haven't seen anything indicating that either, but that's not something they would probably tell people until the end of the season. Why? Because they, they are more afraid of not getting the season ticket renewals uh, because, you know, if they suddenly, if the league is suddenly goes to a new a new schedule where most of the games are played in your division and you play two other divisions and leave the third alone. Maybe the Bruin, maybe the Atlantic division plays, you know, all of the games that they normally would have played against the Metro in internally. And then they still play the Pacific and central and the Pacific and central play the, uh, play each other and the Metro. And so that you only see, one division every other year or every third year or whatever, as they, as you rotate through the rest, uh, it would be a way to generate more, more rivalries, uh, or stronger rivalries in the division. I'm not sure it's the best way to do it, but it would, it would generate stronger rivalries in the division. Um, so I don't know which it is. I really don't. And I'm fascinated by it. I just, I, yeah, I don't understand the, I, just, I don't understand the statement. I just, I, I didn't see it. I didn't see the pregame. I, I, so I don't understand where it's coming from. There's nothing that I can find to indicate that he's considering that. The only thing that I found is an article from Yahoo Sports where he has uh, apparently. Uh, He's going to he and his family are going to move back to Columbus after he retires. They love the area. He loves the area. Um, Nationwide Children's Hospital there has helped two of his daughters. I know that they also had to come here and he fell in love with Boston as well. But from what I'm reading, he they the family is planning on moving back to the Columbus area once he retires. But that's it. There's no mention of that's going to happen this year. There's no mention of he's got a timeline. I I don't know where she came up with this information. She clearly knows more than I do. She's closer and more tied in, sits next to Billy Jaffe some nights, you know, most nights, and Barry Peterson and whoever else. So clearly she's got more information than I do, but I've never seen or heard anything indicating that he's not going to be around. I do want to say it was a very nice touch on his, on the night of his thousandth game that they made him an alternate captain. I thought that was a nice touch. Absolutely. Um, I just I don't know where I don't know where it came from. If you if you find out, you know, if anybody seems to know or if anybody has any inkling, please let us know. But I can't find a darn thing on it. Um, Dennis Burstein tweeted a couple of days ago that for the first time in four seasons, all the remaining games for the LA Kings are important ones. Um, how they got there and how that works and how the, and how the work that still needs to be get done in my latest, uh, from LA. Mm -hmm. This is, this is a lot of fun. 
because you've got guys like Byfield and company mm-hmm. who you've got some you've got some pit bulls still on the roster. They may be old pit bulls at this point, and Dustin Brown and uh, Anze Kopitar and but those guys still love winning. Like you're the calendar is going to turn to May and their, their teammates are going to see a side of them that those players haven't seen themselves in a couple of years. And it's going to be awesome. Like legit. Awesome. Yeah. It's, it's nice to have LA. It's nice to have the Kings back hunting for playoffs, you know, and, and, Trying to make a run. Uh, you got Johnny Quick, who was there the last time they won a cup. Um, wins the Con Smythe. You know, it, it, I mean, you you still got you still got four of the on ice players uh, at least from the cups. You've got Kopitar. You've yeah. got Brown. Yeah. You've got Dowdy. There you go. And you've got Quick. I'm pretty sure those voices are going to be fairly loud come playoff time. Absolutely. And don't forget, um, Troy Stetcher won the cup recently with, didn't he just win the cup recently with Washington? Stetcher? No, I'm sorry. No, Stetcher was with Detroit. Stetcher was in Detroit. Wrong person. Um, I thought that was the former. <laughs> it's okay. He's, They've got they've got they've got a good mix of youth and I think they've got more youth than they do veterans. I think they're they're starting to tilt the balance. And they've got a good younger. they've got a little bit of just they've got some jerks on the roster. I mean, Brendan Lemieux is never going to be my favorite player. No. Um, you've got Andreas at the Nasiu, who is stupidly fast. Um, you've yes. got Alex Ayafalo, who is he ever going to lead the league in scoring? Probably not. But do I like watching him play? Yes, I do. Was he an undrafted free agent sign, rookie free agent signing? Yes, he was. Victor Arvidsson, who just had his record taken away for most goals in a season by Philip Forsberg uh, back in Nashville. 29 years old, 5'10", 185 pounds. Um, He brings his own. uh, Actually, Victor Arvidsson does not. No, wait a minute. I'm sorry. Career. Victor Arvidsson brings his own 61 games of playoff experience. Oh, there you um, go. 61 games, not in the season. No. Um, and, you know, that 16-17 run, he had 13 points in 22 games. Um, the 17-18 run, he had nine points, including five goals in 13 games. Uh, 19-20 in Nashville, four games, three goals, including a power play goal. Um, he's got overtime. Oh, he's got an overtime goal. He's got three games. He's got three, three game winning goals. Um, his most recent, uh, in that 1920 year, 
He had an 18.8 shooting percentage. Um, 154 shots total in those 61 playoff games. He's he's more used to being in the playoffs than not. Um, so in addition to that leadership core, you've got some guys who are who've got something to prove. I, uh, and Philip Denault, like my hope is if the Bruins and Kings end up well, facing well, each other, that he is never on the ice. Golly gee, Philip Deno, was he you not know, with Montreal last year when they went to the yes. final? Yes. He's oh. not only a Bruins killer, he's a really good face-off man. Uh-huh. And, okay, so there's more in recent okay. playoff career, history. I mean, they, they've got they've got playoff chops in that locker room. His is career playoff face-off percentage is 54.7. Through 38 games of playoff experience— now he's not an offensive juggernaut, um, but no. 54.7% is going to keep you on the ice as a player until you can barely skate. Uh, this like what I like about their team is they don't have, and and I'm not downplaying Connors or Ovs. They don't have that one guy that has. 8,000 points, and then the next guy on the team is 400. Yeah. Kopitar has 61 points. Kempe, 47. Deno, 43. Moore, 43. Arvidsson, 42. Ayafalo, 34. They've got scoring throughout their four lines. And here's the here's the really scary thing about them. They've got arguably, I mean, they've only allowed 208 goals through 73 games. The team they're most likely as of today to face in the first round has allowed 230 goals, the Edmonton Oilers. <laughs> uh, just the contrast in styles between those two. Um, then you look at their away record. Most likely they're going to start on the road. They're 20 and 29 and six away from home. Okay. Sounds pretty good to me. Yeah. Uh, versus Edmonton, who's 19, 13 and five, which is not terrible, but not nearly as good. In fact, you looked at if you look at that Western Conference, they have of the top six teams right now. <clears throat> actually, they may have the best road record. They do have the best road record in the Western Conference. Their home record is <clears throat> just above fifty fifty percent. But when you can win on the road, particularly in the playoffs, well, that's that's something to talk about. Winning on, the, winning on the road in the playoffs is huge in a seven-game series. If you can steal one, well, in a seven-game series, you're going to start on the road the first two games. If that's you win two of those away games, those two, first four away games, there's a deep, there's a 50, 50 chance that you're up at game four at the end of game four. Yeah, you might be even, but you're not out of it. 
I, I like LA. I, I, are they are they going to make a deep run? I don't know. I, okay, if it's they, that whole hot. It's it, part of it's the whole hot goaltender thing. Can Cal Peterson handle it? You know, or are they going to go back to quick for the playoffs? Uh, they've been playing Peterson more recently, and I don't know if they're doing that to get him ramped up for the playoffs. Or if it's because they're trying to rest quick for the playoffs, uh, I, my worry would be if you rest him too much, is there going to be any ring rust, so to speak? Um, but it's a team that, that they've got playoff performers, they've got youth, they've got how deep they go is going to be, you know, is Doughty healthy and what's their goaltending look like? Uh, is Doughty healthy? What's their goaltending look like? And unfortunately, who do they face in the first round? <clears throat> if they somehow end up facing Colorado or Calgary, <sighs> that's probably an easy. That's probably an out. Yeah, going up against um, going up against the Colorado, I think they could even take down uh, uh, Vegas. Uh, it's uh, Vegas is struggling. If they do get in, I think that they could take down a Vegas. Uh, could they take down the Blues? I think they could take down the Blues. Uh, yeah, Colorado might be a different animal altogether, but any time that you're facing a McKinnon, Landeskog, uh, Makar, Nazem Kadri, when you go on and on and they've got the depth scoring that they've got, it's, and you've got be- they've gotten better on the back end as well, Absolutely. With Makar, with Gerard, with. Uh, I think the only other team who's got less pressure on them going into the playoffs this year is probably Dallas. I mean, no one expected L.A. to make it this year. Dallas. Let's face it. Dallas has a negative goal differential as it stands right now. They're the only team in a playoff position with a negative goal differential. Um, out of all 16. Okay. So, yeah, no pressure on Dallas. If they win the first round, great. But I, I don't see that as a as a uh, matchup unless somehow uh, unless somehow L.A. manages to catch Calgary, and I just don't see that happening. Yeah. It's not quite mathematically impossible, but it's it's a climb. Dallas, Dallas has two games in hand over Vegas and Vancouver behind them in points. Now, I said this a month ago. I don't think Vegas is making it in. I know. I just I, I and I that's why I clarify I qualified my statement because I originally said that L.A. could take down. I think they could take down Vegas. I clarified that by saying that they, you know. If they get in, I don't know if Vegas gets in. Uh, does leaving Mark Stone out, or is he back? I haven't even seen anything about Mark Stone, but uh, is the gamble of leaving him out until the playoffs? I don't think they have a choice with the cap situation. They're cap strapped in a in a hard way. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. But you look at these numbers, and okay, LA's got eighty six points. Nashville 86, Dallas 84, Vegas 84. 
can you throw Vancouver in at 80 points with 70, you know, with 10 games left to go? Uh, They're on. Uh, it I, would be really amazing to say yes and have it happen. I don't know. The team hasn't showed that level of shaputs. Yeah, that's why I'm kind of questioning as well. That said, if they get really close and end the season with a couple of strong wins, I don't want to place the. I don't want to face them anytime in the month of October next year. They they will come out hungry. Okay. And knowing that they can't coast. Um, and that's, of course, assuming the roster doesn't get blown up. But Stone is not – Stone is still on long-term injured reserve, as is Riley Smith, as is Brett Howden, as is Nicholas Haig, as is Jake Bischoff. Um, that's they, They're hurting. They're, that's 17 million in cap, in cap hit there. That's a lot of money. Mm-hmm. Uh, it is actually 20.7% of a cap. And yet it's still not as much as what McDavid and Dreisaitl make. <laughs> Which is so ridiculous. It and, is. And I don't and I don't blame McDavid or Dreisaitl in the No, list. no. You can't fault the players. They you know, it's their job to get get paid. You know, as much as they can, because no, it's not like a regular career where you work until you're 65, 70 or further. You know, you've only got a limited span of time. You need to earn the earn the money that you can while you physically capable of doing it. So I don't fault the players for getting paid, you know, but at the same point in time, the organization, you know, if, if you're going to take that kind of money, you better be able to cover what 12.5% of, of an NHL roster can do. Can we talk for just a second about Jack Eichel? Can we? We can. Okay. This is a guy who went almost a complete year without playing, maybe even more than, more than a full 12 months. Sure. He had only 21 games in the 2021 season, 18 points, only two goals. Since he's come back from effectively experimental surgery on his neck after months, maybe even years of laboring under that painful, painful neck and limited mobility, limited everything, Mm -hmm. he's got 19 points in 25 games. I don't even know if he's actually hit like midseason stride yet. 25 points in 19 games on a team he's completely unfamiliar with playing in a Western conference with longer travel, meaning his neck probably, if if it's still bothering him, probably still has time to cramp up or more time to cramp up on the plane. Going to be yeah, I don't know what that's all about, but 19 points in 25 games is nothing to sneeze at. What is he going to be like when he actually has – enters a season healthy with good players around him who want to win. Terrifying. The answer is good terrifying. Play, I mean, yeah. Good players who want to win. Are you saying that there are players in Buffalo who don't want to win? Want to and are capable of winning. I should, I'll put it. 
you know, actually, actually, Buffalo was on their own little winning streak there for a bit. So Buffalo is still one of the Buffalo's actually been one of the best teams in the league since uh, March 1st, I believe it was. Something like that, yeah. I remember reading that they've been... Uh, I know. I, I'm trying to pull up stats and, and talk at the same time, and it's like, you know, patting my tummy and chewing bubblegum. I guess I can't do it. Um, I'm trying to compare Eichel. I, I mean, one of the things that... You're looking at, at, at guys who come in and, and completely unknown teams. You know, Evander Kane has played 34 games with Edmonton and has 29 points. So I guess it's not unheard of. Now, granted, in Edmonton, yes. Is he playing with McDavid? Is he playing with Dreisaitl? Are they going to help him? Uh, I would think so. He was so. also healthy when he when he had his layoff due to drama. Drama, yeah, that's a good way. That I can't think of a better way to put it. I mean, Eichel at this point has points in four straight games. Um, he's just gotten better. He's just been ridiculously consistent since, like, his second or third game back. And it, it's good for the game of hockey to have him back. One hundred percent good for the game of hockey. Um, as it's good for the game of hockey to have Evander Kane scoring and being productive in a city that he's enjoying playing hockey in and is out of the limelight. And I've seen tweets, his exes trying to keep him in the limelight in a negative way, but it's not working. His, whatever the issues in that relationship were. Yes. And will continue to be for a while. Um, I don't think that relationship made either of them a better person, and they're probably almost certainly better off apart. Yeah. But yes, Jack Eichel going, and, and I didn't know. I didn't know if Eichel going to Vegas was going to be the best move for him, as far as you know. Did they really need another center? Did they really need more offensive punch? Well, as it turns out, yeah, because Stone went down, Riley Smith went down. Getting him back when they did was a good thing. Whether they finagled it that way and and, and Kucherov and, and whatnot. But getting him back when they did was, was huge. And looking at the points production in the limited number of games he's played and with a team that he's not necessarily the most familiar with. Uh, I'm sure he, he he practiced a little bit non-contact jersey and whatnot before he started playing uh, in games. But that doesn't. You can't replicate game speed. You can't replicate game reaction in practice. Okay, let me throw out a really really soft one. Okay. Between the end of their regular season. And the start of free agency, which mm-hmm. essentially really means the draft, the final day of the draft. Okay. The Vegas Golden Knights are going to be one of the most active teams in trading. I can see that, especially where they've got to do something about their cap situation. I mean, yes, Riley Smith is a UFA, and that's a $5 million cap hit. Um, yes, 
Matthias Yanmark is a, a UFA, and that's a $2 million cap hit. Mm-hmm. But there's still a lot of money that needs to be moved. A yeah. lot of money. Um, you're probably looking at um, either you could see Patches, uh, Carlson, or Marcia so uh, moved. And the and two of those three are original players. Yeah, well, Marcia so and, and William Carlson were both expansion draft. They were part of the original, the Misfits. Although... Dadenoff is also a is also a uh, a possibility. Really? Uh, he said and they did try. They did try and move him. They did try and move him at the deadline. Yes, um, he's probably going to be the first guy out, um, as long as they remember where he's actually not willing to go to. Um, <laughs> maybe somebody in the in the maybe somebody in the GM's office, you know, read the contract of, first. Put a put a list up on the wall. Dadnov's no list. <laughs> well, the league is supposed to have a central trade registry or no trade list registry being put online. I don't <sighs> know if it's been done yet, but it it's a direct result of the attempted Dadnov trade. Ah. Um, <laughs> but he's probably going somewhere, and I there. I mean, he's a, he plays both wings. There's gonna be there's gonna be bidders. I mean, clearly we saw that. Um, depending on if you okay, if you're if you're dad enough, and the team tries to move you and screws it up. I mean, how do you feel about it? what kind of reaction are you gonna have to like the team tried to move you and it's now his third team in essentially. Well, no, he's been. He first came into the league in nine ten, played four games, came into the league uh, back in eleven twelve uh, or ten eleven and twelve thirteen, and then went to Russia for six years. Um, he knows it's part of the business. Okay, I I I, I mean, I don't know. I just think he played for Donbas. He played for Saint Petersburg. Um. I mean, he played for the Panthers, then went to Ottawa, and is now in Vegas. He's he's been around, and he's gonna go like with the no trade list that even included a team that was on the cusp of getting into the playoffs this year. It's is he's gonna go someplace good. It's I, I don't think he's going to get traded to Vegas or something like that. Mm-hmm. Um, let's see his current. Get traded to Vegas. It's a ten-team no trade list. So yeah, if you just throw the bottom ten teams into the league, He's already in Vegas. I, I'm sorry, Phoenix. <laughs> to Arizona, the Coyotes. There you go. It's <laughs> good to say he, he's already in Vegas. Wait a minute. He, he's not going to the vagabond dogs. No, no, no. The oh, the the, the homeless crew. Um, I mean. It's going to be fascinating to see where he lands. Dad and uh, will have a roof over his head. He will. He will. His. He will know where the team is going to be playing <laughs> next season. Yes. I know. I shouldn't pick on the Coyotes like that, but they leave themselves open to it, and it's just so easy. It's entirely too easy. It's sad, is what it is. And I know we talk about it a lot, but yeah. Um, 
So Dadnov going to get moved? Yeah, Vegas is going to – they're going to have to do something. It, it, they're going to have to move some players, unfortunately. I don't know. Do they move Marshall and Carlson? I, I, how much is, is um, Kelly McCrimmon and or George McPhee um, tied into, you know, how sentimental are they? It's just they could they could hang on to those two for too long and then your return is nothing on it. I just, just seems like an awful lot of risk to take with those two guys. Yeah, they're going to have to get younger. They're going to have to get um, – I want to say faster. I don't think they're the fastest team in the NHL, so – no, they're not. I, mean, I love I think, why. I think, I think they got faster in the offseason, and yeah. Eichel is certainly faster than anyone who was on their top line last year, but he's still not top 10% of the league fast or top 20% of the league fast. No. He's just a good skater. Um, Let's see. But, Where to next? Their, but with their solid defense, yeah. There's a lot of money there. Where to next? Oh, who haven't we covered this week? Ah, I'm hanging on to those for later. Although we're running out of later, I guess. We are definitely Um, running out of later. What is this? Oh, this one that you snuck in that I didn't see. What is this Bluins playoff goalie poll? Or should we leave the poll till the end? Oh, this was an interesting (coughs) – ran a quick poll. Um, I was somewhat surprised by the responses, although I really shouldn't be. Um, I think the – I think the goalie hug that has swept uh, hockey – the hockey universe has uh, affected people's views because I asked the question, with 1834 – of time on ice and no playoff wins between them uh, between Jeremy Swayman and Linus Olmark. Should the Bruins have picked up a goalie, even a backup with playoff experience for the postseason? 100% of voters said no. 100% no, no, don't of voters pick up. said no. Don't pick up a goaltender. Don't pick up a goaltender. Don't pick up anyone with playoff experience. And sadly enough, potentially waste the last year that Patrice Bergeron is under contract and maybe his last year in the league. Oh, okay, Sophia, stop it. (laughs) Look, all I'm saying is he's played 1,200 games. He's won a Stanley Cup. He's won a Memorial Cup. He's won Olympic gold, I think twice. Um, He's got like four kids. He's. Despite the fact that he's now played over 1,200 games, he's probably missed close to 300 more due to injury and at least 150 uh, due to lockouts and another 60 due to uh, 60 to 80 due to uh, world health concerns. The man's put a lot of miles on his body. I understand that, but this isn't about Patrice Bergeron. This is about... Well, it is because it, this is the last we're, last time we're ever going to see Patrice Bergeron. It's not the 
it's has he come out? Has thought. he had he said it to you? Has he said it to anyone? I have not seen anything like Nick Foligno. I've seen nothing to indicate. He has not signed a contract for next season. Okay. That's concerning. Has Sweeney, and you know the Sweeneyists, or at least you know his track record of getting things done is uh, very questionable. Yes. So I mean, he told us he told us right until the trade deadline that David Krejci was coming back. <laughs> I he think told if us you that, really pressed him. He probably he probably still thinks he's coming back. He told us that uh, Tuka Rass was going to come back and contribute. Tuka Rass did come back. I, I said and contribute. Yeah, you notice I left that part out of my statement, though. Yes, 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 <laughs> I did. Sadly enough, though, I actually agree with the I actually agree with the voters on this one. I don't think they should have done that. You got to the point where you spent money for Linus Olmark. You brought you 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 traded out one goalie. Stupidly. Because you had you didn't want to go into the season with two rookie goaltenders. Okay, fine. You spent five million bucks a year on Linus Olmark. Linus starts the season and, oh, you know, he's not what we expected. Oh, okay, wait a minute. Uh, brand new team, new defensive style. Uh, give him a minute to breathe. And if you look at the way he's playing now compared to the way he played earlier in the season, he's a lot better. If you watch the game against Tampa Bay, um, tracking the puck, moving the puck, they did not play a great hockey game that night. Really? They played a good hockey game, but not a great one. And what evidence was there that it wasn't a great one? Because they didn't win? They didn't Because they couldn't look, get pucks by Linus Olmark? They didn't look like a they did not look like a cup winning team. They looked they looked physical. They, they looked dominant. Look like they moved the puck. Team. They the Bruins, they I'm had they multiple team in existence. Well, I had multiple, multiple times where they had zone time over a minute and a half. And multiple lost the game <clears throat> because of the goaltending. The defense couldn't get the puck out of the zone. They did not look like a cup winning team. Okay. I'm, I like I said, I agree with this. You brought in Omar. You tried to bring in the veteran goal. You brought back Rask. You gave him the money, even though he had a hip injury, which, oh, by the way, I think the hip area is kind of important to goaltenders, you know, up and down, lateral movement, side to side. Something he's been struggling with for a decade. Yeah, go ahead. So you, you try that. It doesn't work. He very wisely, and I thank him for this, steps aside and allows the current goaltending tandem to take on because that was my biggest worry was if you bring Rass back, what do you do? And they move Swayman. You don't want to affect. It took him a little bit of time, not a couple, you know, only a couple of games, whatever, but it took him time to get back into the swing of things when he came back up and then he got into his little winning streak and, and it came to an end and they put Olmark back in. You, 
So you're saying that bringing in Craig Anderson, who costs next to nothing. I love Craig Anderson, but I think bringing him in. He has a 9.29 save percentage because in 48 playoff games. And you're doing it again. For the club. And you're doing it again to the young goaltender where you're moving him up and down and you're letting him know Look, that I said you as don't a have the confidence in him. I said as a backup. Then you're pulling a $5 million goaltender and putting him down in the minors. What are you doing with Omar? Look, you go with whoever's hot going into the playoffs, and you know if one guy proves he can't even play in the regular season in the last fifteen games, you go with the other guy. If he's if he gets cold or injured, you put the guy with the best playoff experience in there. Stop the bleeding and get it done. Don't waste don't waste time on Brad Marchand's tenure. Don't waste Patrice Bergeron's time. Don't waste. Uh, David Pasternak's healthy time. Don't waste Taylor Hall. Don't waste. Uh, don't waste Coyle or McAvoy or Grizzlick. Go win while you can. And you're so you're saying that the Bruins can't win with the current goaltending tandem. I'm saying that there is no proof that either of those goaltenders can win in the NHL playoffs. Okay. Do you have proof that they can? I don't. I'm not okay. arguing that they have proof that they can prove it. I'm arguing that at some point you have to trust in the goaltending tandem that you have. And if you keep bringing in other guys. Uh, Tim Thomas, they didn't trust him and brought in goaltenders and he still went out and won. He held on to the spot. He went and did the thing and he had to do it in a more difficult manner than most goalies are going to. Because he played every single game from, like, February to June. Every single game. Regular season, playoffs, yes, flying the Bruins to West him. Coast, and happened to pick up a Conn Smythe. And, the Bru- and I understand that. The Bruins rode him, and they had to because that was no, no, their no. guy. They rode him because he was performing. Okay. The only, the only low point in his playoff run or in that entire February to June run was against his traditional – the team that traditionally ran roughshod over him, the Montreal Canadiens in the first round. And guess what? They still won. Yes. There's no history of these two winning in the playoffs. Olmark hasn't even played a playoff second. Not even a second. Yes. Swayman has played under at some point every at some point every goaltender has come across this problem. And how this many isn't, have this won? This isn't exclusive to these two guys. And how many have won a Stanley Cup in the first year that they played in the playoffs? Very Craig very Anderson, soon. Craig Anderson has how many Stanley Cups? Craig Anderson has a history of playing well in the playoffs. Yeah, he's no, 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 no. Your argument has been that I'm wasting. I'm wasting Patrice Bergeron's chance at a cup. I'm wasting Marchand's chance at a cup. I'm wasting Coyle's chance at a cup. How many cups has Greg Anderson won? He hasn't won any yet. Ah, but won, okay. But he has won infinitely more playoff games than the t- than the tandem that currently exists. But he hasn't won. He has a nine twenty nine save percentage versus the abomination that Swayman put up last year. 
again, Swayman, in his one period of NHL. I'm not arguing that they are inexperienced in the playoffs. I get it. But it's a period of play when you're in at both the beginning and the end, and he was not. But you can't – okay, you cannot get job experience without having the job. You can't get playoff experience without playing in the playoffs. If you keep bringing somebody else in, you – Oh, yeah, you guys were great enough for the regular season to get us to the playoffs, but now we're going to put somebody else in. I didn't say that. I said as a backup. It's called insurance. This is why you have eight defensemen going into the playoffs and not six. And how many of them carry eight? I've never heard of a team carrying eight defensemen. Seven is a luxury. Have you not paid attention to their rosters in the past, like, I don't know, 18 years? Seven defensemen. I've never seen eight. You're, look, they have the seven or eight guys that they play. They have the black aces, which is normally five or six the, more players. The, tac- the taxi normally, squad that doesn't exist? No. The black aces have been part of hockey for at least 15 years. Right. And on that, you can have, what is it, like five or six players? And, it's five yes. or six players, usually including at least one defenseman, I at least one that. center, at but least one But I'm talking about center. actual playing during a game on the ice. Most Some coaches go with play. six. Why? Because there's seven. No, it's the amount of players you can have as part of your roster in the playoffs. Right. There's a game roster, but there's the the number of players you can take around with you, not limited. And if you tell me you think that Craig Anderson would actually have a problem with coming in, playing at the deadline, playing only three to four games in the regular season, and then sitting in the uh, ninth level until the playoffs if he was needed, I think you're out of your mind. Because even that's going to be better than Buffalo. Oh, from from Craig Anderson's standpoint, coming here would be fabulous. I don't have a problem with it. I don't have a problem with them picking up Craig Anderson. I have a problem with them continually taking the goaltending tandem that that's because they keep building tandems that they have no reason to believe in winning the playoffs. You can't get experience without actually being in the playoffs. You can't but make you the argument that they have no playoff experience. You should have useful experience from at least one play, at least one of your tandem going into the playoffs. And they don't have that because swing is, he should correct his mistakes. Yes, he should. He's made quite a few. I'm not disagreeing with that. Except you are. It is what it is. We have what we have. They didn't fix the 2C spot either, and now all of a sudden everybody's arguing that Howla deserves to be the 2C. I still don't see it. Unfortunately, he didn't fix the goaltending. He went and signed a young kid last week who's probably not going to do anything for us in the playoffs either. Kyle so Kaiser's not, there is no goaltending in it, it, I, Grossnick, no NHL playoff experience. I, I I get what you're saying, but we don't have it. He didn't make the move. Should he have done it? I still don't. I still don't think he should have. I think that you've got to somehow at some point trust in what you have. You love Jeremy Swayman. Jeremy Swayman's going to be the next. He's the next big thing. He's here. He's now. You paid five million dollars for Linus Olmark. I like Linus Olmark. You gotta somehow trust. You gotta start trusting what you've got. Why? Why? Because if you don't ever trust them, then you're never gonna win a play. You're never gonna win a playoff. You're never gonna win a Stanley Cup. 
if you don't constantly improve, you're constantly getting worse. And that's where we're leaving the topic. Um, Jonathan Huberdeau did something that I found one surprising based on the first five or six years of his career and two dismaying based on the franchise. Yeah. He's the first player in Florida Panthers history to crack the hundred point mark. First player in the very, in the 29 year history of the Florida Panthers, because they were founded in 1993 to hit 100 points. As you said, it's not a good look for the franchise. Good look for Huberto. And not a good look for the franchise. You know what? Um, what interesting thing is pointed out in one of the immediate tweets after it? One of the immediate tweets after it, or like a reply. One of the immediate replies to it. Austin it, Matthews still has not had a hundred point season. Okay. Now the odds that he does not get there, given that he's at fifty eight goals and ninety nine points today, with a double digit number of games left, uh, not something I would place money on. But it does put into perspective the type of season that Huberdeau is having and the impact that he's having on his team. I'm, uh, I'm still throw, I'm still taken aback by the fact that it's taken Huberdeau this kind of time to get to this point. I mean, he did not give me any indication when he first. Came into the league, league that he was going to be a hundred point player. Exactly, but you know, with experience and actual being, actually being allowed to get out there, play his position, the general managers have actually kept him and played, gotten players one around four, him. One of four potential centers on a roster versus only two goalies. But yeah, okay, go exactly. You're comparing apples to apples in the same way that anvils and. Uh, and flip-flops are the same thing. Keep going. Keep going. I'm not comparing anything. I'm just saying that uh-huh. the GM actually went. Yep. What are you talking about? Uh-huh. Uh, now, admittedly, in Huberto's defense, his first season in the league was the uh, was the lockout-shortened 12-13 season. So he only got into 48 games. Which uh, is all they played, if I'm not mistaken. Yes. I've never had a problem with his durability. <laughs> Um, he played in 69 games the next season and actually regressed a tiny bit. Okay. Um, and then, you know, he looked like a middle six player until like three years ago. Yeah. Until the 18, 17, 18 season, probably where he had 69 points in 82 games. And then the 18, 19 season started and it was almost a completely different player. I mean, 92 points in 82 games, then 78 points in 69 games, then 61 points in 55 games, and this season, a humdrum 104 points in 72 games. Oh, it's brilliant to see. I love it. More power to him. I think it's great. And his playoff performances have gotten significantly better as well. I mean, he had his first playoff experience in that 15-16 season. Um, where he put Wait, up 59. Panthers actually made the playoffs. Panthers actually made the playoffs. 
Uh, he had three points in six games the first run. Then he had three points in four games his second run. And then he had ten points in six games his third run. Um, I don't think I want to play the Florida Panthers in the first round if I'm anybody. Except, I mean, if you're happy to be in the playoffs and just and winning isn't all that important, sure. Maneuver for that spot. Get that get that second wild card spot and have at it. And um, I, don't want, I I know I don't want to play Florida right now. <laughs> they're, on a seven, they're on a seven game winning streak at this point. <laughs> plan your golf uh, and your family vacation for the week after that series will be over, and go. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, I'm not. I'm I'm, I'm not. I'm not enthused by the prospect of having to play the Florida Panthers at this point. Um, I'd love to say they have a maybe their hitches in their goaltending. I don't, but I guess Bobrovsky's having a decent year. Is there really a hitch in that team? Seriously, I'm not sure there is. No, um, not sure. So either. I'm going to ask a question that I probably should have shouldn't ask, given where we are for time. Okay. Who's the most disappointing team in the last quarter of the season or the last 20 games? The most disappointing team in the last 20 games? Yeah. Based on your expectations for them running into the season or earlier in the season or even as late as the as late as uh, New Year's Day, last 20 games, who's the most disappointing team? I know who my answer is, and a lot of people are going to want to throw stuff at me, even though they've somewhat course corrected. Somewhat course corrected. I I had my answer is the Carolina Hurricanes. Like they are five, three, and two in their last ten. I haven't even considered it, but they were right there with. Florida running away with the league. Um, okay. And now there's they're in first place in their division right now. Oh no. I'm just looking at Wow. Now they're tied with, I thought they were ahead. I thought they were further ahead as well. hundred points. Same as the Rangers. Same as Toronto. Wow. And you look at some of their losses. April 5th, they lost to Buffalo. They lost to the Islanders on the 8th. Um, Minnesota beat them. Minnesota's at least a playoff team, but Minnesota beat them 3-1 to one on the 2nd. Uh, go back to late last month, and... As far I mean, as they, pl- blanked, they blanked uh, Montreal, but they, they, they had to go to overtime with... with the Lightning. They had a romp against St. Louis, but Dallas beat them, and Dallas can barely score, but they allowed four goals. The Rangers beat them two to nothing back on March twentieth. Washington beat them in a shootout again. Um, Pittsburgh, who is reeling, as we discussed just before the show. On the 13th, doubled up on them 4-2. to two. Uh, They allowed two goals to Seattle back on the second, on March 6th. 
Washington beat them 4 nothing on March 3rd. Detroit beat them in a shootout. The fact that they went to a shootout with Detroit. Uh, on, yeah. I mean, if, had I prepped for this question, and I'm glad you didn't prep me, but I'd probably say Pittsburgh. Just because... If, not from not from before the season started, but the way they've been playing all season and, and as far as expectations go, I didn't expect them to be in a playoff. But once you put yourself in that position and you're you're up in the top three and you're into a playoff and then you you're oh for the month of April. Ouch. They've had four games in April and they've lost six three to the Capitals, three nothing to the Rangers. 6-4 to Colorado, and, oh, wait, the game before that, 3-2 to Colorado. Now, I understand losing to Colorado, although home-and-home home series, and you lost both of them. You got shut out by the Rangers. If you go back into March, it basically in the last two, three weeks, their only win has been against Detroit, where they won 11-2. to at home, And it was a home game for the, for, for the Penguins. You lost to Minnesota in overtime. You lost, I mean, I'm sorry, you beat Minnesota, but it took overtime. You lost to the Rangers again, 3-2. to two. You lost to the Rangers again, 5-1. to one. You lost to Buffalo in, in a shootout. It, they've had two wins since, May, since March 22nd. This is not the way you go into the playoffs. They're, they are literally limping into the playoffs, three, six, and one in their last 10. But if you're saying from all the way at the beginning of the season, did I expect Pittsburgh to make the playoffs? I believe that I didn't. So, but as far as am I disappointed by them? Yeah. It, when you play, as, play the way they have been and achieving the playoff spot and getting into the top three in their division, the expectations have to rise as well, and so they'd be my disappointment. But yeah, I guess I can see the Hurricanes too. That because I mean the Hurricanes are one of those teams that I think it's going to be at some point we're going to see Florida, Tampa, Carolina against each other, mm-hmm. and that's gonna like. That's, think, that's right. going to be the best series, or should be on paper at least the best series of the playoffs. I think right now another team that nobody wants to play is the Rangers. See, the Rangers are another are, are one of those teams. I think they're probably the least, the lowest pressure team in the in the. Oh, East. they're they're playing with house money. First time in four years that they that they made the playoffs. I mean, they've already caught. I mean, they've already quali- they've qualified. They're already, they're already in. So the first time since the 17 season, 16, 17, 17, 18, 16, yeah. 17. So five years. They're playing with house money. And they're going to cross 50 wins. I mean, they've got 47 wins today. They're at 73 games played. They can legitimately throw 40% of their top six uh, into the press box every night from here to the end of the season. Can they finish first in the match ball? more wins. Will they finish first in the Metropolitan? I don't 
No. Um, the and thought your, of watching your gut tell you that the Rangers could overtake Carolina and be first in the Met. Okay. If the Rangers overtake Carolina, I think Carolina might be guilty of rigging things a tiny bit. Really? Okay. Hold on. Hold on for your favorite phrase. Yes, I'm holding. If the playoffs started today, Carolina would play. Uh, Carolina would play uh, Washington, who they haven't had a great record against. Okay. If they drop into second, and or even third, mm-hmm. and Pittsburgh is has the other of the top three spots, and Washington stays about the same. They're going to be playing. They're going to and they're they're going to play Pittsburgh. They have a great road record. They have a great home <laughs> record. Uh-huh. Uh, Pittsburgh is barely. Well, Pittsburgh is above. Pittsburgh is limping right now, anyway. So Pittsburgh is not only limping right now, but they've only got a nineteen and twelve, nineteen twelve and five home record. Okay. I. If I'm Carolina, Rod Brindamore and company, I might want to. I might prefer taking my first round win against Pittsburgh and dodging the Caps, who know that without significant roster change, they they're not making the playoffs next year. Okay, but my issue is that that's a lot of ifs. It's, it's a lot of what ifs. I get Carolina wanting to move up or down, thinking about. I don't, but there's a lot of moving parts in there to sit there and go, well, if we drop down in the second and Washington moves up and Pittsburgh. Da, da, da. Okay. Here's my, here's my, here's the other part of the reason I don't know that the Rangers can overtake them. A veteran team should know they can't take their foot off the gas going into the final run up to the playoffs. A team as young as the Rangers, or whose core is as young as the Rangers, because let's face it, Zabinijad is practically a gray beard on that roster. Um, By the way, who's coaching the Rangers now? Come on, say it. Say it. Oh, literally off the top of my head, I don't remember. Gerard Gallant. Um, but of the, of the two teams, which do you think is – Based on their age, based on their playoff experience, which team do you really think is more likely to let off a little bit in the last five, seven games? And just say, yep, we're in. And maybe drop two games they shouldn't. See, you make the argument that way. And I think that Carolina, knowing that they're in, they don't. They can actually their veterans with Rod Brindamore as their coach. There are few okay. fiery, more fiery. Uh, never stop. Who was the head Rod coach that took? Who was the head coach that took a team of misfits that had nothing to do with each other, hadn't played together? Well, for the most part, they were some external motivation. But he, but it's the coach who drives that motivation. The, this and is Gerard Gallant has done it once four years ago, five years ago, and now he's got the Rangers playing that way again. I, I, I would still, 
I don't know like, that he's gonna. I don't know that he's gonna allow them to take their foot off the gas. Like you said, they're young, energetic. I, I think that there's guys on this. I think there's more guys on the Carolina roster who know this is their last run. Jordan Stahl, this is probably his last opportunity to be a mover and shaker on a cup run. Not saying he can't go play the mascot role somewhere else after his contract is done after next season. But even, I mean, it's possibly too late to even call him a mover and shaker, I guess. Um, His production has dipped a little bit more than I thought it had. Uh, I, Derek Stepan, you know, for sure he's, he's not going to get another big contract or even a medium contract in the league. And I agree with you. Rod Brindamore is not, Rod Brindamore is going to not allow, allow them to, to rest. I just think that with older veterans, I'm not going to say aging. I'm not going to say, Oh my God, they're, they're, you know, but with older veterans, it, it, Carolina is a slightly older team than the Rangers. They're going to recognize the value of rest and recuperation, whereas the young upstart, we just made the playoffs for the first time in five years. Go, 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 go. They're going to keep charging forward, whereas Carolina would recognize that, okay, you still got to win another 16 games in the playoffs. Maybe if we take it a little bit easy now – Wait, you're sure that in the bright lights of New York City, a city that is opening up to all of the fun stuff for the first time in two years, Mm -hmm. and you don't think a pretty young team is going to go out and enjoy themselves even while playing hard a teeny tiny bit? Uh Okay, so what's more excitement late at night? Let's go out and have fun pre-pandemic than... The Las Vegas Golden Knights played where? Oh, wait, in Las Vegas. And but Vegas Galant- had been open all year long. New York is just starting to reopen, just starting to have people go back to offices, and just starting to unmask, all of that. It's a, it's a different thing. I, and this is two years of the masks and the – Closing early and the headcount limits and everything. Yes, but I, um, it's an it it certainly is an interesting conversation because I think that you know I honestly this, think that the Rangers a can poll question. I honestly, it, it is a good poll question. I honestly think that the Rangers can overtake Carolina. Um, and I'm going to put that poll up now. Um, listeners, definitely uh, drop by uh, Twitter slash Buckslage. And answer the poll because I am fascinated by this one. Um, but oh, let's just run through the other stuff really quick. We're over for time, but um, as I said, I probably shouldn't have asked that question. Here we go. Um, The NCAA tournament as a men's tournament has come to an end and. Ah, yes. And two teams that I certainly wasn't expecting to actually win this 
because you doubled down on Minnesota and refused to acknowledge that any other team was good? Go ahead. Double down on Michigan, maybe, but not Minnesota. Michigan. There you go. So at the end, when the dust settled, the Denver Pioneers defeated the Minnesota State Mavericks in the and it was just it was clearly a beating five to one here in Boston sat on Saturday. That's um, pretty gruesome. And oh, by the way, this is Denver's ninth NCAA men's ice hockey title ties them for the most in NCAA history. Uh, oh, and by the way, they scored all five of their goals in the third period. They were losing one to nothing. And they scored all five of their goals in the third period. So congratulations to Denver. Uh, I, it's an amazing thing when you can come back and not just not only tie the game, but to win the game in what appears to be dominating fashion when really all you did was dominate one period. I mean, that's it's, it's an odd thing because it's a runaway with. with but players. it wasn't. See, I when I first saw, when I first saw the story, I was like, oh, my God, they crushed him. Well, they didn't really. It was but it's a, a runaway with a roster that isn't especially packed with like draftees. I mean, Massimo Rizzo, who had one of the goals, is a 20-year-old um, who was a seventh-round draft pick. Uh, this isn't uh, of the Carolina Hurricanes. I mean, he was taken 216th in 2019. This isn't the who's who of of hockey. You've got Bobby Brink uh, of Min- uh, Minnetonka, Minnesota, Mm-hmm. as their leading scorer in the regular season, Carter Savoy. Um, I'm not sure there's a huge number of draftees in the, you know, top five, top six, top six players. Denver, it, it, they produce, they produce really good hockey. Players. I mean, I mean, Bobby Brink is, yes, he was drafted in the second round by the, by the Flyers in 2019. Yeah. I mean, Will Butcher was a, a Will Butcher came out of Denver, but he was a undrafted free agent signing. Carter Savoy, fourth round pick of the Oilers in 2020. Okay. Uh, Cole Gutman, sixth round pick of the Lightning in 2017, and so, this was his fourth year. So we expect I expect him to be somewhere pro next year. I mean, 45 points in 41 games is nothing to sneeze at. Uh, Brett so Stapley, Stape, Brett Stapley, Stapley, yeah, another seventh round pick from 2018, um, also his fourth year. Um, so, so it's not so, like they were all first round picks, like <clears throat> a certain team that died. So what, so what you're saying is that it's not 14 out of 27 on the roster that are NHL draftees. <laughs> They're not high draftees. Like the Michigan Wolverines. (laughs) Not high draftees either. And not high draftees. Michigan Wolverines, 14 out of 27, 14 out of 29, I'm sorry, on the roster were NHL draftees. 14 out of 29. Just consider that for a minute. And it still didn't get them the championship. Nope. Uh, The kicker here is that the goaltender for Minnesota State, Hobie Baker Award winner. Yep. 
Dryden McKay. We looked up his numbers. Um, yeah. If he, he, okay. Given that they finished the game 24, about 24 hours ago or almost. Yes. If he doesn't have a contract by now, multiple general managers should be fired. Multiple. Four-year letter winner, two-time Hobie Baker finalist, three-time Richter Award finalist, two-time ACHA All-American, three-time WCHA goaltending champion, two-time WCHA goaltender of the year. Um, 1.4 career numbers, 112, 19, and 4, 145 goals against, 933 save percentage, and 34 shutouts in 138 games played. Established NCAA records for career shutouts with his 34, and he ranked second all-time in the NCAA with 112 wins. Yeah, I don't know if he's any good. I I don't know. He could be all right. Hard to say. <laughs> he, he could maybe know what he's doing. I don't know. Maybe. Oh, there is a Denver. Uh, there is a uh, Red, uh, Red Wings pick on this team. Oh. On which team? On Denver or? On Denver. Shai Munim? Uh, or Shay? I don't know. S-H-A-I? Shai, probably. Um, he was a second round pick in 2021. 6-3, This was his uh, first season. Uh, interesting. I should remember him. Yeah, you usually do. Um, I would say, but I would, I would definitely say congratulations to Denver. I mean, Oh, absolutely. I mean, to beat to beat Dryden McKay with five goals, or uh, even if even if they got to three goals, I mean, based on what what I've seen this kid do, Dryden McKay does not give up a lot of goals. No, (laughs) no. As I'm going to guess, he was pulled, but to finish a four-year career in a top level college team with those sort of numbers, uh, there's scouting departments across the league that need a slap in the head for just not having him, not having drafted him when he was eligible or trying to get him out of school in the last two or three years. I mean, we looked it up. His one, his one year in, in the USHL wasn't fabulous. Yeah, his draft year would have been 16-17. He had a 9-17 save percentage. Um, but you're eligible to be drafted for two years. Someone someone had a seventh-round pick that they could have thrown at him and yeah. probably had better luck than whoever they did take with it. Um, so that is – oh, Two names to watch for or next year's draft and the year after. Um, I was watching some Tanner Howe uh, highlights from this season. 16-year-old playing for the Regina Pats. He'll be eligible for the 2024 draft. Um, yeah, he's he's probably – he stays healthy. There's no, There's pretty much no chance he's not going in the first round. Uh, he looks really, really good. Uh, and okay. he's a late birthday. Otherwise, he'd be drafted next year. Um, he played just eight games last year for the WHL. This year, through 61 games, 26, 40, 66, 22 PIMS, plus seven, 
and he's playing with some guy who will be dra- who's draft eligible next year, who I'm reasonably certain uh, most of our listeners have heard of, Connor Bedard. Um, nah. Yeah, no, I reasonably I, certain. Not I don't know who Connor. I don't know who Connor Bedard is. No. I do. Uh, for but those who not. have forgotten, he is he was granted uh, extraordinary status or exceptional status uh, to play in the WHL early. Yes. And unlike, actually, unlike some sure. others, he's um, showing it was worth it. I'm pretty sure we actually talked about it when it happened. When it happened, probably, what was that, two years ago? Yeah. yeah. 2020. Mm-hmm. Um. There's, I will be surprised if Connor Bernard is healthy next year and makes it out of the top five. Like it still exists, it's still there at number six. I definitely want to see these players who go ahead of him because I think this is going to be another, another case where teams shoot themselves in the foot. Uh, taking, if that happens. Okay. And I think that's everything. Oh, no, there's a couple of things that we didn't cover, uh, and we'll shift those to next week because we got way off track. Um, that is it, ladies and gentlemen. Thank you for listening. We will be back next week. Um, if you see something you want our take on, drop us a line. Um, you can find me at Pucksage can find me at the off wing and you can find us right back here next week doing the thing have a great week